Well, good morning. Today we're going to come back to our study in the book of Mark. After Christmas break and a uh, month of uh, January, we focused on prayer. We're going to get back to Mark. You know, the one thing I love about Scripture is that it's amazing how that uh, Jesus, through the Gospels, uncovers some of the most important topics that affect our lives and how we live. Now, today we're going to look at really a subject that goes like this, how we see ourselves and how we see others it shapes who we are, uh, how we feel, what we're gonna do. I had a friend who grew up in California, and uh, he, he said that he and his buddies, um, they, they surfed before surfing was cool. They used the big, large wooden boards with the, the metal fin on it, and, and he said that um, people were always asking, he and his buddies, now, you got about the sharks, they would say something like, you gotta be careful with the sharks. You know, the, the sharks might get you. And, and he said, honestly, he says, um, I never saw a shark. I was surfing in Huntington Beach. And he said, um, people often overstate the big scary and forget about the quiet, invisible things that really do make a difference. He said, actually, um, between five and six people only, and, and, and it, it, I say that only, it, it's tough if it's you, right? But um, only five and six people worldwide are killed because of shark attacks. However, between 40 and 60 people a year are killed by jelly bee stings. And we don't even talk about jelly beans. We don't have, I mean, jelly beans. We don't, yeah, what am I talking about? Yeah, jellyfish. J- jelly beans are fine. Yeah, you eat all you want, okay. But imagine 50 to 60 jellyfish stings kill people, okay? There's more than that, but... Today in the book of uh, Mark, we're gonna notice there are some of those invisible but very present things going on in our lives that affect us. This passage, beginning in Mark 30, it uncovers this most destructive thing that has destroyed many relationships. I mean, it's brought conflict to dormitories, it's brought chaos chaos and ineffectiveness to organizations. I mean, it has melted the beautiful romance um, budding in a couple's relationship. It's destroyed marriages and families. It can bring bitterness and ugliness to a dinner table. It even has divided churches and stolen the sweet fellowship that God intends for his people. And so what is it? It's jealousy and envy. Proverbs 27.4 says this. Wrath is cruel and anger a torrent but who is able to stand before jealousy? I'm gonna tell you what, have you ever had somebody really angry at you? I mean, wrath is scary. And anger is described like a, like you know, the rushing water um, in a storm. But who can stand before jealousy? And we see a clear thread of this throughout scripture, but let's begin reading in verse 30. Then they departed from there and passed through Galilee 
and he did not want anyone to know it. For he taught his disciples and said to them, the son of man is, is being betrayed into the hands of men and they will kill him and after he is killed, he'll rise again the third day. But they did not understand this saying and they were afraid to ask. I mean, Jesus is trying to get his disciples away from the crowd because he knows that the clock is ticking and he is headed for why he came to earth in the first place. He's headed toward a crucifixion. And he talks about this plainly in Mark chapter 8, 9, and 10. <clears throat> I'm going to be killed and then I'm going to rise the third day. And he repeats it and repeats it and repeats it. But the disciples, they don't like that. They want a triumphant Messiah who walks in and defeats his foes and sets up his kingdom. This suffering servant Messiah Jesus is describing is beyond their understanding. They can hardly believe it. <clears throat> and they don't even want to ask any questions. You know, sometimes we don't ask questions because we don't want to know. I live with a little, little guy, uh, my son James. He, he's not in the service today. My, James is 27, his Down syndrome. He's, he's, he's so wonderful and everything's clear to him. <clears throat> when we talk about subject he doesn't like, he'll say to me, skip that one. And he's out. You know, I've heard people say that the only reason people want to get saved is because they just want to, they want to find a way to heaven. Well, I know one guy that is not looking to go to heaven, and that is James. Anytime I talk about heaven, he looks at me and he says, Dad, skip that one. Because you know what? He knows everybody in his family who is in heaven died. And he says to me, I know die. Well, I'm not going to convince him otherwise at this point. No need. The disciples didn't want to hear what Jesus had to say. You're going to die? And you're going to rise on the third day? In verse 33, then he came to Capernaum, and he, when he was in the house, he asked them, what was it that you disputed among yourselves on the road? And they kept silent. For on the road, they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. And he sat down, called the 12, and said to them, if anyone de desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child and set him in the midst of them. <clears throat> and when he had taken him in his arms, he said, whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. And so Jesus is talking to the disciples and, and there's, there's a problem. Like there's been a discussion. What was the discussion about? It was about how they saw themselves and how they saw other people. They were arguing over who would be the greatest. That's the wrong question. You know, God has made every single one of us very uniquely, specifically, with a plan and a purpose. And when we compare each other to each other 
and we decide to rank one another based upon uh, whatever evaluation we have, and we diminish ourselves, or we diminish the value of other people, we're, 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 we've completely missed the point. The point is, you need to be the best you God created you to be. You need to do what you can do. You, you need to accomplish your plan and your purpose. You know, when you think about the 12 disciples, I mean, how many of the disciples do we really know? Not very many. You might know Matthew, Peter, James, and John, Philip. I don't know how many you know, but there, there's a group of those 12 that we know almost nothing about except their name. And each one of them is different than the other, and Jesus intentionally pulled together guys with different talents, abilities, personalities. He says, I, I, I just want you to be you. This arguing about who is going to be the greatest of all, that's not the issue. <clears throat> this whole idea of wanting to be great actually flows from something that is very good, and that is that we want our lives to count. I don't want to live and die and not have done anything to help anyone or accomplish anything. Do you? No, we, we, we have a desire to make a difference in the world. I mean, that's why we love our superheroes. I don't know what your superhero is named. I mean, you know, there's Batman, there's Superman, there's Spider-Man, there's Iron Man, there's Ant-Man. I, I tell you what, we, we have plenty of them, I'm, I'm just saying. I discovered that my little three-year-old granddaughter, Eleanor, she loves Spider-Woman. Didn't even know that was a thing. But my, months, my, my son said, no, Spider-Woman is just like Spider-Man, but pink. She even had gloves on, her Spider-Woman gloves. Who knew? Why? We have a deep desire to make a difference in the world. But because of our fallenness, sometimes we take that desire and we turn it into a competition. So who's the greatest of all here? I was at the funeral of my mother, this pastor friend of ours who has been very successful in politics and ministry. He comes up to my brother and I says, uh, okay, which one is the richest between the two of you? I'm like, Seriously, buddy, at my mom's funeral, you're talking about this? Who cares? We turn into a competition. When we compare ourselves to other people to try to see that we're good enough, we make a mistake. When we decide that we wanna be the greatest of all, and if that means I win, you lose, we've gotten it all wrong. No, 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 I don't have to be you. I can't be you. I will never be a great you, and you can never be a great me. We just need to be who we are with the strength of God directing us. You know, this whole idea of jealousy and envy come, runs throughout the entire Bible. In Genesis chapter four, the first two brothers, you know what we read? We read that they both bring offerings to God. 
And one is a farmer and he brings the fruit that he's produced. And the other one watches the flock and he brings, uh, he brings an animal. And I've heard so many theories about what that's all about. But what I don't often hear is the fact that Abel's offering was accepted. Cain's offering was not. But then there is this conversation between God and Cain. Cain was not, he was not rejected. God asked Cain, why are you, why are you so angry that your brother's offering was accepted and yours isn't? I mean, you, you, why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not well, sin lies at the door, and a desire is for you, but you shall rule over it. And then Cain took his brother out to the field and killed him. The first murder is because of envy and jealousy. And the dialogue between Cain and God was, I'm ready to bless you. I'm, would you do good? Do good and I will bless you. But Cain wouldn't listen. And he diverted to envy and jealousy. You know, there's another story in the, in the Old Testament, David and Saul. David, man, this young man with great courage comes to the rescue of King Saul and volunteers, kind of like a sacrificial lamb, to go out and fight Goliath. I mean, I don't think anybody uh, was very confident that David was gonna win. And David goes out on the field and after trying out the armor of King Saul, he says, man, I can't even move in this. This, isn't, this is not fit for me. I'm just gonna go out and be who I am, a shepherd boy with a slingshot and some stones. And he goes out and he puts a stone in that slingshot. And David is just being the best David he can be. He's not trying to be Saul. And he approaches Goliath and he, he says, I, I'm coming to you in the name of God. You're defiling, you're defying the, the people of God. And he, he, he kills Goliath that day. And everybody's shocked, especially Goliath. But everybody's shocked. This immediately catapults David into the military, and he becomes one of the most successful military leaders, even at a young age that the entire nation had ever seen. And Saul's pretty happy. You know, if you get the good people on your team, you win, right? David is winning like crazy. And then one day, Saul hears the chant that's been developed. David, uh, Saul has killed his thousands. Saul has killed his thousands. And Saul is just, man, he's enjoying that moment. And then they go to the second verse. And David, his ten thousands. And Saul immediately takes a turn. It changes the course of the history of Israel because Saul is so angry and consumed with jealousy and envy that from that day on, he seeks to kill David. How ridiculous is it to kill one of your strongest producing generals. Are you kidding me? Why would you be so ridiculous as to kill the guy who's winning more often than anyone else? Envy and jealousy can do that to you. Um, 
Let me ask you a question. When you think about all the people in your life, family, at work, who do you envy? Who are you jealous of? Who is that person that comes to family dinner that you're annoyed that they're so successful? You're trying to watch out for the sharks, but the jellyfish is right there. And the jellyfish is envy and jealousy. And it will destroy you. James 3, 13 to 16 says this. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For every... For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. It's important for us to explore areas in our life where envy and jealousy are taking over. How come I'm not more beautiful or talented? How come I haven't had the breaks other people have had? And what we do is we, we can be consumed. And that's what was going on with the disciples. Here's some, here's some steps to defeat envy and jealousy in your life. Number one, thank God for what we have. You know, when you're envious and jealous, you don't even see the abundance of blessings that God has brought to your life. Number one, thank God. God, man, what, what am I thinking about why I feel like they're more blessed than I am? I'm setting that aside. That's not my business. God, I see what you have done for me. I am grateful for what you had given me. I choose to be content and to live in gratitude. That's the first step. Number two, pray for God to bless those you envy. Now, wait a second here. They're already plenty blessed. Why would I pray that God will bless them more? Because that is the antidote to get that out of your spirit. Say, God, thank you for blessing them. I pray that you'd bless them more. Refuse to be their enemy. Choose to rejoice with them in their blessedness. Three, remember, they didn't get your blessing. God's got plenty of blessings. You seek the Lord. The Lord wants to watch over you and bless you and take care of you. Sometimes I think we have this thing that switches in our mind where we're thinking, boy, they're, they're blessed. That should have been mine. Have you ever felt that way? I know you all are saints. You're looking at me like nothing. Of course, that never has happened, but You've got to battle it. Thank God for what you have and choose to be grateful and live in contentedness. Number two, 
You need to pray for those you envy. Don't fight them. Don't make them your enemy. Love them. Thank God for his goodness to them. He didn't give them your blessing. So just praise God that he's that generous. Okay, number three. Trust that God is gonna bless you. He knows what to do. Second thing in this passage that we wanna look at is this. Verse 38. Now John answered him saying, teacher, we saw someone who does not follow us casting out demons in your name, and we forbade them because they don't follow us. Okay, Jesus said, don't forbid him, for no one who works a miracle in my name can soon afterwards speak evil of me, for he who is not against us is for us. Now, this is so interesting because in this very same chapter, the disciples' problem at the beginning was that they tried to cast out a demon in that man's son, remember that? And they were unable to do that. So I don't know if they were a little bit sensitive to their very recent failure. But nevertheless, as they're arguing who's the greatest and trying to jockey for position, John says, well, we saw a guy casting out demons in your name, Jesus, and we told him to stop. Are you kidding me? How is the kingdom of God benefited when you stop someone from casting out a demon that has been tormenting somebody for so long? And Jesus affirms that they were casting out a demon in the name of Jesus. Jesus says, no, no, no. Remember, the 12 were not the only ones who Jesus commissioned to go out and cast out demons. You know, we should bless the work of God in circles that we're not a part of. Now, I want to just admit to you something. I come from a good, long line of fundamentalist Baptists. And if we are expert at one thing, it's we're expert at picking apart everybody's mistakes from our perspective. It's exhausting. I remember one of the best things God ever allowed me to do was to be <clears throat> invited and included in a doctor of ministries program in Manila. It was a cross-denominational group of men, and they, everybody in the room had to be a pastor and leader of a ministry to qualify to get into the program. And I went, went there because, you know, I needed the education, I, I needed to improve, and I sat in that class, and as I looked around, I began to hear their stories, and hear about their ministries. Some of them I had heard about and had observed their churches and ministers grow and flourish. Some I had never heard of, but as they talked, I realized, boy, God is doing big work here in the Philippines that I don't even know about. Thousands and thousands of people are coming to Christ. And yeah, these, my brothers in this room, we don't all agree on everything. We don't all do everything the same way. But I know that what we do agree on is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only hope for the world. And every one of us celebrated in our conversation the people that had come to faith and accepted Christ and how their lives have, have, had changed. 
it, man, I tell you what, I was so enriched. It was incredible. You know, there was one man, <clears throat> this man was in our group. His name was Peter Tanchi. And I remember him and his wife, Peter Tanchi, came from a very wealthy family. In, in his testimony time, he said, have you ever heard of somebody who's been born with a silver spoon in their mouth? Well, he says, mine was not a silver spoon. Mine was platinum. My family was so well off. We, we had so much wealth. And then he described how the thing that he loved most was to talk about the gospel of Jesus. And as a young man, he joined an international team from Campus Crusade for Christ, and he traveled the world with this group, and that's where he met his wife and married her. And now they had returned to the Philippines, and they started a church, and the church he started was, was a church that was built on small groups that met in people's homes, and today, the Christ Commission Fellowship has between, I don't know what the real number is, between 75 and 150,000 people who attend worship in their churches all over the Philippines every week. And this man will not be remembered for his great wealth, although he has it. He will be remembered for his great love for Jesus Christ. And while he manages his business, you can tell his heart and soul is in the church God has allowed him to plant. Incredible guy. I, I, I got, got to looking at some of the video clips that he has produced, and in one of those video clips, he talked about going through very hard times. And I remember when this happened, but he talked about when his children were at home um, he, his daughter was at home with a couple of her friends and there was a home invasion. And he says, and my daughter and the other girls were violated. My daughter was raped seven times. And he says, I still cry when I remember that. And then there's a clip of his daughter who says in that clip, you know, it was the most awful thing she describes a little bit. She says, but the Lord has given me healing. And now I am married to this wonderful man who loves me so much. And we have six children. This family is going to be remembered for the grace of God at work in their life and the power of God who works in their life. These disciples, they were struggling because they had the wrong focus. I want you to succeed in every way you possibly can. I pray that you will find success at work, in your education, in your families. Do you not want that for everybody in this room? This is not, I win, you lose. No, this is, I want you to win. And we have a God who wants every one of us to win. And we will celebrate.
all the blessings he, he gives us. Lastly, <clears throat> you know, Jesus doesn't, in this passage as it's recorded in Mark, he doesn't give a very strong rebuke to the disciples. He just redirects them in two ways. First of all, he says, don't you know that the greatest of all is, is the servant of all? Every one of us can be the greatest of all by serving the people around us. It's in service that our souls get filled up. It's not in our boasting. It's when we humble ourselves in service. Jesus goes on in verse 41 to say this, for whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name because you belong to Christ, Assuredly, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. You, you know what Jesus is saying? He's saying, don't you know that, like, I'm watching everything. You think I'm all about the big stuff, the onstage stuff? That's not what I'm looking at. I'm looking at everything. Some of you need to be on stage because I've gifted you to do that. Some of you, you, you don't need to be on stage. And you, don't, you just be who you are. Even if you give a cup of cold water, you will be noticed and rewarded because God's going to be saying, good job. You know what? In this church today, there will be hundreds and hundreds of servant tasks done by the volunteers who serve in Sunday school, and Kid Street and youth who are on the hospitality team who open doors. I mean, th th those people who make everything run on stage, the lights, the music, the sound, the live stream. Even those people on the parking lot. Now today it's raining, so I don't know if they're all out there right now, but you know, I, I love our parking lot people. And, and Jesus says, hey, here's the deal. When you serve, I always see it. And I will reward you. So keep serving. It all matters. I don't just reward what everybody thinks are the star positions. Because I know that every position is absolutely needed. You know, this week we're going to host a Night to Shine. We'll have 175 um, adults with uh, special needs in the building. And it's the uh, Tim Tebow Night to Shine. It's like a prom. Um, they will arrive. There will be hair and makeup and shoes shining. There will be a limousine ride, paparazzi. There, there will be a karaoke room. Boy, you got you know, it, it's it's one of the funnest rooms. There will be dancing because there's no keeping these people from dancing because they're they will come here and we will love them and we we will pray that God will bless and give us a spirit of joy. And I've watched it year after year after year, and they they just. And um, Cindy 
my wife has been calling through the guests, especially those that have um, complicated special needs situations, making sure we have all the information we need and knowing who the who their, their companions are, do they have a nurse with them, what are their dietary restrictions, what, what do they, I mean, is it, is it, are they going to be bothered by the lights and the loud clapping of the paparazzi, because we'll coach the paparazzi to just be smiling without noise, because it, we're here to make this work for them. And she was telling me about one lady that she called, and she said, uh, you know, I'm, I'm so glad that I, my daughter can go. She says, she says, honey, she told my wife, she said, he comes and tells me the stories, okay? She says, honey, I have adopted five special needs kids and, and she was the last one I adopted and now I'm so elderly. I can't take care of her. So she doesn't live with me, she's in a home. I can't hardly take care of myself because I'm so elderly, but thank you for providing this for my daughter. One man called, and he says, I'm calling because, you know, my client is, um, well, let me just put it this way. He's, he's in a home with several other people, and because he's, he's so complicated and, and so he has such difficulties, he never goes anywhere. The others go places, but he, he just can't go anywhere. And we thought maybe we would try to at least bring him to this because, like, he doesn't ever go anywhere. And... But I'm calling because I don't want him to be a distraction or a bother. Um, he's going to bounce the ball all the time. That's sort of like how he calms down. And is that going to be a problem? And, and he may not even last very long. He may only last a few minutes or half hour. And, and Cindy said to him, uh, no, you bring him even if he lasts for just a few minutes. He says, well, we're, we're an hour or more away, so we will travel that far, but this guy's gonna get dressed, he's gonna go to a party, and he's gonna stay as long as he can and leave when he needs to, and we're gonna say to him, hey, listen, there's a good God in heaven who sees you and cares for you. Why do we do this? Because our King, Jesus, he came to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He didn't come with power and authority to vanquish his foes. He came to defeat the evils of this world with a love that is beyond description. He died for us on a cross. He died in our place. And then he rose again. And the disciples didn't want to hear that story at first. But then they kept telling that story. We're gonna share communion today and I'm gonna ask you to get out the um, communion elements you were given as you came in. First Corinthians 11, 23 to 26, 
when we take communion, you know, we, we, we do three things. We remember what he has done. We remember his shed blood and his broken body. We're told in Corinthians to examine ourselves. You should examine yourself right now. First of all, have you accepted Jesus as your Savior? Have you asked Him to save you and forgive you? You should ask Him. Is there something going on in your life that you know He isn't pleased with? Then confess it. You know why we have communion? So that we can bring ourselves to a point of getting things right. It's a checkup. I love a checkup in that it gives us a chance to address what we've been ignoring. And then the last thing is that when we take communion together, we proclaim, we proclaim his death till he comes. I'm gonna invite you to stand, if you will. And we're gonna remember, as 1 Corinthians says, that um, the night that he was betrayed, he took bread, so let's take the bread out. And he said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you do this in remembrance of me. Lord Jesus, thank you. We hold this, this piece of, of cracker to represent your body. You suffered because you love us. And we thank you, Jesus. And we remember that it cost you much to save us. So let's eat together. In the same manner, he took the cup after the supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. His blood was shed for us. Jesus, thank you for your shed blood with the cleansing power of your blood for being the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You came to rescue us. You paid dearly. And today we remember and we thank you. Let's drink together. And this is the hope of the world. This is the hope. Today is the first Sunday of the month, so we're gonna have a time of extended prayer, and I'm gonna invite our team to come forward. And um, I mean, if, if you really wanna do business today, think about the people that you feel envy toward. And I'm gonna challenge you to come forward and bless, pray a blessing on them. Pray a blessing on them. You don't have to be destroyed by jealousy and envy. And maybe you're here and you're sick and you need someone to pray over you and pray for you. We invite you to come. Maybe it's a family situation, a child, a parent. That's what we're here for. So you come as we worship and we'd like to pray for you.